For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue our series of positional reviews for the 2022 Baltimore Ravens. And today we're going to talk about the interior offensive linemen, and do that with our good friend, Jason Smith. Jason, how you doing? Doing really well, Ken. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. I always uh, like talking football with you, Jason. Of uh, You know him probably is at Huddle It Up Films on Twitter, but uh, Huddle Up Films on YouTube as well. I've got good content. Always worth checking it out. Uh, need to thank our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. Please give that product a try. They've been very good to us, and that uh, – uh, is your way to support the show, if you don't mind. So, Jason, let's talk about the interior offensive line, because I thought one of the interesting storylines coming into camp was the competition, and I'm using air quotes right now, that was that ha- supposed to happen at left guard. Uh, there was really no question at center and right guard. In fact, they said on draft day, he'd be the, Linderbaum would be the starting center, and nobody was challenging Kevin Zeitler, obviously, at right guard, a, a veteran, but at left guard, there was supposed to be a competition. And it uh, it worked out in a kind of strange way with Ben Powers being rested and given the start of treatment. And that confused a lot of people because you had Ben Cleveland, who a lot of people thought were was going to emerge and take care of that position. Then you also had Tyree Phillips, who had started before for the Ravens. Um, so it was it was definitely it worked out well for the Ravens, though. It looks like they made the right choice at the left guard spot. They did, at least for this one year, it certainly was the the guy they wanted. They didn't find out about their future, but they did find out, you know, I think who was the best player for 2022, and they got him on the field, and uh, Power certainly had a big year. McCary never really considered in that left guard picture, as far as I can tell. They, they knew they would need him potentially at tackle and at guard. Uh, the tackle situation I went over with Jordan Coe yesterday, just a mess in terms of uh, the number of players who played left tackle, four different guys, and then at the stability at right tackle. Really was. And, you know, when I see the snap counts, sometimes McCary's listed as a guard, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, that's that's the only position that he's not going to play. play. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yeah. it kind of cracks me up when I see that. But, uh, but yes, you know, it uh, it was strange because I had actually predicted a trade, but I thought Powers would be the one who would be traded. Uh, before the roster cuts, I figured they'd keep Cleveland, keep Phillips. And they'd still have McCary to work in there if they needed. But it did seem like we had an overflow of, of people that could play guard. And then we even got a chance to see Tristan Cologne play some guard for us, too. So an uh, excess, but but they did. It's a great point. Still unknown with Ben Cleveland at guard with Powers potentially leaving this year. But um, Powers really stepped up and played well. Yeah, he, he did. And and we're going to talk about him in just a second here. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it was you mentioned Cologne. He took the only other two snaps at center that Linderbaum didn't play powers, played the entire season. 
at left guard, which is really an impressive thing to do anytime you can do. I think Matt Skura did it a few years ago as well. So there haven't been too many Ravens offensive linemen who've, who've managed to completely do it. And Stanley and, and uh, Moses missed snaps this year due to various injuries. Even after Stanley came back, he missed some snaps. Moses missed a few here and there. So, you know, they had various band-aidings they had to do to the offensive line. Nothing like the, uh, you know, what happened to the Cincinnati Bengals, for example, but, uh, but still a fair amount of, of patchworkness to the Ravens line. And, you know, on the interior of the offensive line, you really can't complain. There, most of that patchwork you're talking about is a tackle. As you had Linderbaum played all but two snaps. Powers played every snap, as you said. And then Zeitler missed a game, one game, and then was rested mm-hmm. the last game. So, um, you know, when you're talking about one game, two games missed for injury during the year, that's uh, among three positions. That's that's great. And that uh, I think it really helped to have some continuity built up within this line. Yeah, definitely. I would I would agree completely with that. Um, let's talk Powers. You mentioned he played every snap. Uh, really had an outstanding pass blocking year until the very end of the season. He was number one in PFF's pass blocking uh, re, uh, scoring. Okay, and a, we do not completely agree on pass on on the mix of pass and run blocking, but I think PFF is good at the individual scores. So if you take their pass and run blocking separate and you don't try and combine them into a single score you're doing okay. So the PFF combined score, I think is is probably pretty badly misweighted. But if you look at the individual scores for passing one block, I think they're pretty good. And that's what I use for looking at linemen across the league. uh, You know, when I just have my own Ravens scoring uh, to look at the other thing that, that PFF is, uh, you know, significantly different on, and this comes up in the powers thing is they're very underweight on penalties. And when you look at the two things, pass blocking and penalties, those are the two reasons why I think Ben Powers is one of the top guards in the league. And they say he's a middle of the pack guard. Basically, is they overweight a relatively mediocre run blocking uh, season from from Powers, and they underweight that pass blocking, and they also underweight the the penalties. He was one of the least penalized uh, players in the NFL at at, uh, at guard. So uh, only had one penalty the entire season. And when I talked to him about it, he's like, "Oh, they just you know play acting. They got outside the frame, and it, and we knew those officials might call it, but it's it's." Uh, uh, you know, the kind of thing he was he was upset with himself for getting. Well, hey, you know, that's uh, it's still pretty amazing. One penalty. You know, my dad told me something that kind of rings true. You can call a penalty on any play, Ken. Mm-hmm. I always feel like you can. You, you know, it's just there's such a fine line. But he is a very disciplined player, Powers. Um, you know, you talk about not jumping, no, no false starts, not jumping for the snap. Um, just a very, very steady player is how I would describe Ben Powers. I do. I was very surprised at his pass blocking this year. Uh, you know, I I think with with him and Bozeman in the past, I saw them what I get called them getting broken off at the line of scrimmage or like uh, a basketball term, you break somebody's ankles or cross them up, and that really didn't happen with Ben Powers this year. I mean, he you know there was a time where he was good for one or two of those a game, uh, just completely getting beaten pressure in the face of the quarterback right away. Really, really steady player and. It's just beautiful to see somebody that worked hard, that stuck with it, that went from an unknown to somebody that, you know, is in line for a contract now and and really uh, worked hard, stuck with it. Like I said, uh, very deserving player. Very proud of Ben Powers. Yeah, me too. He'll get he'll get paid and he really deserves it. And and it won't be, unfortunately, I don't think with the Baltimore Ravens. I guess we can't completely rule it out because if Lamar were to sign in the next five weeks. I think it's possible that they'll talk to Powers because they'll have a little bit of contract relief in 2023, and it's possible. But with the other needs at wide receiver and corner, I just honestly don't see it. I think that they, the Ravens will probably have to um, bite the bullet with whoever they've got left at left guard after Powers, even though that that could be a fairly significant downgrade. It could be, could be. You know, a name that I was thinking about also is Bradley Bozeman, who's uh, who signed a one-year deal, didn't start most of the year. He's a free agent again after spending a year in Carolina. And I'm wondering if they would uh, bring him in to compete with Cleveland or Cologne or whoever else is back uh, in the Ravens uniform. So, um, but yes, I, I, I think Powers priced himself out. I definitely do. I, I, you know, Bradley Bozeman, for example, I thought that he would get more as a starting center somewhere in the league and he didn't. So I've been wrong before. We've been wrong before about this, but 
I think that Powers is the type of player that'll make, I don't know, say seven, eight million dollars uh, per season, you know, a nice four year deal through the prime of his career somewhere and and make some team very happy. I mean, if you can pass block, like you said, and be a disciplined player, there is a place for you in this league. And Ken, how many times do we say, do we look at uh, an opposite team and say, oh, OK, they're on their third whatever guard or right guard, mm-hmm. left guard. We got a real advantage this game. Like having somebody durable and dependable is worth its weight in gold when you come to offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's true across the line, of course. That continuity value is very high. Uh, in, in the case of Powers and, and uh, Zeitler specifically, I think they were both very good fits for playing next to Linderbaum because they're bigger power players. I, and you can give up a little bit in terms of some of the foot speed components of the position to have a power guy there next to your finesse guy. I think, I think that's really worked out. I think it potentially could really work out for Ben Cleveland as well. Very, very well. Good. You know, Ben Cleveland, hot and cold type performance, but definitely a power player, definitely a power player. Um, But yes, but you know, Ben powers though, all the luck to him. I, I don't expect him to be back. I think that some team will, will have this new cap money and and throw some at a dependable guard, some team with a young quarterback because offensive lines everywhere, are, you know, they're, they're, it's hard to find a good line, uh, keep a steady line. A player like Powers should be coveted. Good bet. I hope he just doesn't end up in Cincinnati or some other place where we're going to have to see him a couple times per year. Ideally, go to the NFC, but anyway, you look at it, it's more talent overflow to the rest of the league and, and a, a takeaway from the Ravens. But uh but good luck to Ben Powers. Um, you know, I really like the Bradley Bozeman idea. The idea of bringing him back maybe on another one-year deal or maybe on a two- or three-year deal even, provided the price is right, you know, to play left guard again uh, or to be the backup interior offensive lineman who can play either center or guard. Uh, Cologne will be entering his fourth year, does not even have to make the team. Honestly, his option value is gone. If he's good enough, he'll stay. If he's not, he'll go. You know, it's really that simple. Uh, so, so Bradley Bozeman is a guy you want to, you want to give a couple, uh, two and a half, $3 million a year to, I wouldn't have any problem at all with that. Uh, I hope that expectations are reasonable there. Um, but again, it, it could be a right player, right, right price situation. And I would not expect Bozeman to quite turn in the, it's not quite have the credentials that powers does certainly as a pass blocker, although he probably is a little better puller in his time in Baltimore than Powers was this this last year. Well, thanks, Ken. I was I was looking at that, then thinking about that, and, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, you have a player like Ben Cleveland who, you know, in an ideal world, he emerges and, and lives up to his potential and can really hold down that spot. It's just a physical force. But if, you know, Bradley has been here, he knows the city, things didn't work out for him like he wanted to in free agency, I could definitely see him coming back and just providing some depth at, at two positions, really left guard center, just like Cologne. And, um, you know, yeah, pulling, he was very good. I think, I think powers when his pulls that that's a weak spot. I think his run blocking in general is, is, uh, not the strongest part of his game, but, um, but yeah, Bradley Bozeman, I was, I was thinking about that uh, a few days ago. I figured I'd bring that idea to the show. Yeah, it's a, it's, it really is a good one. Cause it definitely gives you that positional versatility, um, McCary brings you some of it, obviously with, with in theory, being able to play anyone of five positions, but you really wouldn't want to put him at either guard position, uh, because of, you know, what's going on with the risk of losing him at guard and then needing him at, at tackle. That's the Tyree Phillips situation we had. Interesting. You brought him up. I, I he kind of had slipped my mind, but made the team on the initial roster cut as the 11th offensive lineman. And that should set off an air raid signal in your head when that happens. Because teams carry 10 offensive linemen, almost certainly sometimes you only carry nine, but you have eight on game day. So you either have a nine to make eight or a 10 to make eight situation. Teams which have developmental situations on the offensive line in particular really want a 10 to make eight situation. So Daniel Falele, for example, for the Ravens was a guy that they probably would have preferred to have as a game day inactive a lot. They had extra tackles. You know, it's, it could have been, it, it easily could have been a situation where they, where they, we're figuring for one extra, but once they do that, you know, something's up and somebody's about to be cut. And honestly, I, st- I still thought it was Cologne at that point who was going to get cut and not Tyree Phillips because of the theoretical uh, positional versatility he gives, but none of that had actually panned out for Tyree really had not put in a high level play at either guard and certainly at not a tackle. 
Yes, yes. And, you know, with uh, especially with Ronnie coming back uh, this year and all the uncertainty, I thought it was a, a 10 was a was the was going to be the number. It was going to be a 10 to, to make eight. You have a little bit of depth, like you said, foul Lele, um, you know, more of a de- developmental player. But um, but yeah, you know, it's better to have too many than not enough, I guess. And the Ravens made it work. I mean, we're looking at uh, what we traded Bredesen either Mm -hmm. last year or the year before, if I'm mistaken. So the Ravens have taken these shots with uh, mid-round prospects at guard. And um, it's been a little bit hit or miss, but we've gotten something out of powers, that's for sure. Yeah, I think their their hit rate has been fairly remarkable in terms of of how often they've hit on their mid- and late-round offensive line guys. Uh, It's just it's one of the positions where the Ravens really are consistently good about. I just wish they had that same kind of scouting acumen for wide receivers. You like to have it for every position. They've got it for safety. They know exactly who can play dime back within that Raven system. They know exactly who it is. And those guys, sometimes they're better than that. Like in Chuck Clark's case, you know, but there are, for whatever reason, they cannot get it figured out at, at wide receiver. And that's been an ongoing problem. And Bishotti is a hiring manager probably needs to put his stamp on that to cost us his direct report. You know, it's the kind of thing, have a, have a, have a conversation with him and just say, look, how are you going to improve our chances to find good wide receivers in the draft? Tell me what you're going to do. And just like any boss, you don't want to, you don't want to interfere too much in terms of, of, of micromanaging that department. But on the other hand, you need to hear a good answer to that question. And you know, if that means get a scout of scouts for wide receiver or or a wide receiver only focused uh, draft analyst who oversees all of your scouting reports for the wide receiver position, and it can be specific to that or it can be broader, but that's the area where he's got to focus on to start with. Um, I, I I just got to believe something like that would have to be in the works for the for the Ravens front office, given the amount of turnover and frustration at that wide receiver position. I would love to see it. Something has to change because, I mean, it just sticks out like a sore thumb compared to really all, all, all positions. You know, I'm thinking right. about late late round linebackers and defensive linemen, and you mentioned safeties, tight ends. I mean, we've had a lot of hits for you know. Yep. You you look around the league, and you know, at what one point I don't know if this is true any longer, but most of the players in the league were uh, drafted or brought in rookies by the Ravens. Uh, they were number one, the number one team out there. Uh, out of all 32. So when you do that, that means that you're drafting or bringing in uh, undrafted free agents who are ready to play in the leagues. They've done a great job at that. Um, You know, I think as fans, sometimes we get picky when third rounder or fourth rounder takes a while or isn't a superstar, but that's, that's more than par for the course. Usually those guys don't work out. Um, Ravens have had a lot of luck. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, and this is one thing, don't confuse what I'm saying in any way. For me thinking that Eric DaCosta has done a poor job drafting. I, I think, in fact, this last year really put to bed all the bull crap uh, that, that has been out there about how Eric DaCosta has never drafted well, never drafted well, it was all Aussie. Blah, 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 blah. You know, I, I, I'm just, I, I'm so tired of hearing that. And now, you know, he had an A, you know, had an a draft, uh, went completely against need to get Hamilton. Brilliant pick. I mean, it exactly addressed in the end what was the Ravens' biggest need this year at slot corner. And uh, you, just, you, you don't know exactly how it's going to work out. But Linderbaum pick, I, I'm, I'm you know, less excited about in terms of when it was and the other possibilities. And, you know, maybe it could have been a Kair Elam at corner and gotten a center later. But, you know, Linderbaum, who we'll talk about next, is starting from a great point in this first year. It's just it's he, he's not a pro bowler yet, but he's he had a very solid C year. Maybe even a C plus year if you want to grade it that way. I'll give you my individual grade grades as we go through this. But I thought he had a a reasonable starting year that people need to be very careful not to be overly sanguine with. There is a lot he still needs to learn how to do to be an effective lineman. And, and in particular, when you can't pass block or when pass blocking is a big problem, you got a bigger problem than if you can't run block at center even. And, uh, you know, some people tell you about pass blocking context and whatnot. No, it, it, pass blocking context will grow as needed when your opponents figure out that's where your weak spot is. They will stunt right into you. They will blitz right into you. They will figure out how to beat your weakest link. 
And unfortunately, that's what Linderbaum was as a pass blocker this year. Great run blocker. Uh, just, you know, you couldn't have asked for him to deliver more on his college pedigree there. But the pass blocking is still a pretty big problem. Yeah, see, this is the guy that we're going to split on a little bit. I mean, I don't think he was a very good pass blocker, but I don't think is he, you know, the term overwhelmed as a pass blocker. I think he was overwhelmed by certain opponents or overwhelmed at times. But um, the stunts is where, which Ken is specifically where I would, where I would disagree with you. I think that, you know, I've seen, I saw a number of times on power side where there was a, a game played and the, uh, what do you call the, the second man through? Not the front, I call it the back end of the stunt. The, the looper. Uh, the, or the, the looper. Or the, yeah. Sorry about that, Ken. Yeah, I forgot your term for it. Where he, you know, head on a swivel, picking up the looper and just absolutely crushing them, Linderbaum style. You know, it's it's nothing easy with that guy. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, his run blocker, absolutely uh, unbelievable. Um, but he needs, you know, his shortcomings that we saw in the draft definitely showed up against some of these bigger, just, you know, just the monsters in the middle, like Derek Browns, for example, or, or the, uh, the guy for the giants, Lawrence, yeah. Dexter Lawrence, Dexter uh, it was a, it was a, it was a long day for Linderbaum. Um, you know, Quinn Williams, I thought he did pretty well, well against, against the jets. And if you got a big sloppy body in there, Linderbaum will handle him. But the, the freaks of the freaks will give him problems all day long. There's no doubt about it. So I'm going to go through his grades week by week in terms of how he did. And then we can talk about who did it. But it, one of my, bugaboos about this is Linderbaum's been given a lot of passes this year for all the playing against big bodies and look I mean it's the nature of the NFL is about you know 40 percent of the teams probably have a big monster at nose tackle who can push people around and you can't just make an excuse for 40 percent of the games each year and say well it's okay that he doesn't play well as a pass blocker in those games he's got to figure it out he's, he's got to get better at dealing with length and he's got better at, at some of the hand fighting things he's very unusual in the respect that he's a pass blocker who needs virtually no refinement technique wise as a run blocker. It really in terms of, it's not about hand placement. It's about making choices of styles between things that worked in college uh, and picking the ones that will still work in the NFL. And, and, and so far he really hasn't figured that out. And I, I, you know, I gotta, I, I disagree pretty thoroughly on the stunt pickup thing because that's where, one place where opponents were able to get long against him. It's actually harder for a straight up player to do that. And, and it was, it was a pretty significant problem for Linderbaum. One of the places where we saw some off balance plays from him this year. Now I don't want to pick on Tyler Linderbaum, but I, I have, I have a very non-polar view of what his season was. It wasn't a pro bowl level. It wasn't all pro level. Certainly and it wasn't a terrible level at all. It's a great level to have your first year in the NFL, to have a you know an overall C or C plus year that you can build on. There's very few offensive linemen that come into the league and play that well in their first season. Yeah, he. I mean, he's a solid, solid player. I mean, and he, you know, you love you love the way he plays through the whistle, and you love his mobility. I mean, mm-hmm. the the play. I think it was the last Cincinnati game. Sammy Sammy Watkins second uh, long completion that he fumbled. Linderbaum was down there trying to dive on the ball, mm-hmm. not another receiver or a tight end or anybody. It was, it was Tyler Linderbaum. And um, that sums up basically the way he plays through the whistle and the way he hustles um, just a, a tremendous, a tremendous uh, effort, effort guy. And um, you know, with some of like, like, you know, when he's matched up against a, uh, geez, I'm trying to be polite. I just his sloppy body is, is, is about the, mm-hmm. the best I can come up with. So but a, some, a large bodied but not particularly athletic nose tackle. There you go. There you go. Yeah. You know, somebody that, that might be long, but is not tremendously athletic. I mean, he will throw them into the pile next to him. He will throw them into the guard, the, you know, the, the defensive tackle next to him. He will bench press them. Um, but when he goes up against these longer athletic guys who are also, of course, they're going to be huge men playing in the middle of the line. That's, those are the players that give him problems. So, um, but yeah, I saw him handle bench press quite a bit of 300, you know, 20, 30 pound men um, once he gets his hands on them. But the length is, Ken, the length's going to be an issue. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's always going to be an issue. Right. I mean, it, it will be, and he's got to kind of figure out it in stages. Garrett Bradbury was comp to him right away in terms of a, a player who, 
you know, people thought he was generally better than Bradbury coming out of school and but had the same kind of length issues. And he's actually even shorter, I believe, than Bradbury by half an inch or something. But the Bradbury has taken four seasons to really elevate his game such that the Vikings weren't even really in a position to sign him to that fifth year option. They had to they had to decline it. Um, I don't think it's going to take Linderbaum that that long. I think it could be next year that he takes a step forward, enough of a step forward as a pass blocker that he's that he's really one of the he's on at least on the verge of making the Pro Bowl. Let's say next year that that it it, it could be that soon, and I, I'm really excited about that. But it won't it won't happen by accident. It's going to be a lot of hard work for him to get there, and I hope he realizes you know what he has to figure out about what's not working out because it's really strange because. You don't have to send this guy to go to the Charles Bentley school or to work out probably with some guru. He needs real reps and real tape to look back at 2022 and say, hey, what worked when I was playing Dexter Lawrence? What worked when this smaller but longer defensive end stunted to the inside and got my shoulder first? How do I have to how do I have to counter that? He's got to figure out that hand play probably pretty much has to do it on his own through tape. He could he could do some other things. I mean, there's we we've heard various Ben Powers. It was once said that yoga was the solution for him. I think that in the in the case of of Linderbaum, it might be something like karate. You know, I know he's a wrestler, so that gives him some of that. But it, but it might be something else, which which just improves his speed as a hand fighter, which could help him with uh, the speed necessary to fight quicker that way. That's that's something, by the way, a lot of pass rushers do. There you go. There you go. So yeah, yeah, yes, the martial arts. Definitely hand to hand combat. There's, I mean, I, I think you made a good point with the experience, you know, there's for a rookie in the NFL and the type of athletes that you're going up against at any position, really, there's a learning curve. You know, the, you said things that work to college might not work uh, against just a better athlete who's seen it all. So um, I do agree with you that I, I love where Linderbaum is starting from and I expect them to get better. I, I would just say that, some of the longer, quicker guys, like the real freak athletes in there, I think will give him problems like they give everybody else problems. He's going to need help. He's not going to be that that lockdown center. Sure. Next next time he plays Dexter Lawrence, say, or a Derek Brown, uh, or you know, a guy from the Commanders, um, <clears throat> if they're still there if when we play them. Those kind of guys will give him uh, uh, some problems. But comparatively, if I look around the league and I look at uh, – you know, the play that we've had the last few years, I, f- I feel like, uh, you know, he was definitely an upgrade. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's certainly headed in the right direction. So, so from that perspective, I like it. The snaps were one of the biggest revelations. I mean, they were right on the money. They were within a tight window. They were much higher velocity. Lamar, you know, has much less of a, um, excuse is not the word I'm looking for, but had much less trouble like losing his vision on the field because he was fielding a snap that was, that was off, uh, off line. And that's not, not to say there were zero, but the bulk of snaps were in that tight window and not some sort of curveball. He's having, having to you know, figure out how to pick up off his knees and then reacquire the, the receivers look around for them. So that, that alone, you know, you could, you could ascribe that to his pass blocking and give his pass blocking a big upgrade from that perspective, if you wanted to, of course, that's every play. It's not just on the, on the uh, pass plays. Not only that, I, I was looking back at the difference of some of the snaps. Um, you know, not only is it taking your eyes off the field, Ken, when, when, you know, he was getting, Lamar was getting these like uh, soft balls, they were dropping in front of him to the point where he had to lean down and pick them up. And it, you know, it was delaying yep. his drop. It was delaying his drop. I mean, yeah, it's only a couple of steps drop that he's taken back from, from shotgun, but when Linderbaum, it, it, it's it's a fastball. Now I do I do think you know there were some wild ones. He had some wild ones, but mm-hmm. the timing of it was was perfect. They were fastballs from the remember the uh, the the uh, the training camp or the open practice rather that I went to was a very very bright sign. The first thing I saw, uh, first thing I noticed when I saw him snapping the ball was, wow, that looks different. You know that's the way it's supposed to look. It's right there. It's right on time. And uh, that has to help your, that has to help your quarterback. So yeah, he did have some wild ones, but nothing crazy. And just the fact that Lamar didn't have to wait for the ball to come to him, lean over at the waist, get, pick it up and then go back into his drop. Um, You know, it was, it was a sight for sore eyes. I would say after the years that we had before that. 
Yeah, it was it was great to see. I I completely agree. Anyway, different set of things to work on than other players like Cleveland and Falele, who are truly still developmental linemen and need a lot of technique adjustment to try and like play football like it's meant to be played. Uh, he's 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 a different set of things. He's overcoming his own uh, size issues is basically the issue with Linderbaum. It's something he can just do in the weight room himself. I mean, that'll help him a fair amount. Get a little bigger, get a little stronger uh, will help. But you you really notice it when you score play after play that, that there's a fair amount of balance issues uh, that are created by his size and length. And, and that's where he's got to figure out how do I get that done? And I, you know, it's rare cat that he, I don't think he really needs a lot of exterior coaching to help figure it out. I think he needs to do it himself. No, and I, I I don't worry about the strength as much either, Ken. I think that he's plenty strong enough once he gets into you, uh, or if somebody's in on him, like he said, the bench press thing, it's just, it, like he said, the length and the technique, he, he's, he's just going to have to refine some of that. He's just going to have to refine some of that in his own way. I kind of trust him because he has such a, like you said, refined. He's so refined already comparatively to mm-hmm. another rookie offensive lineman that it's not a uh, it's not a, a large amount of thing that he has to learn or break down his technique and relearn. He's got a good base, I guess is a good way to say it. Yeah, I I agree. He's got a good base. Now, what you just said though is a reason to believe that whatever growth will happen might be smaller than you would expect from other players. I mean, other players who, you know, have, are doing a bunch of technique things wrong, but they're big, strong athletes. Otherwise, mm-hmm. they've got a better chance to improve by more in a single season. Lindbaum's already so refined that his his gains, you know, th- he may have one big cliff gain still to make, you know, or he may have a bunch of smaller incremental gains like we've kind of seen from Bradbury over four years where it really took him a long time to get right or other linemen like Billy Price who never got it right. Right. Yeah, no, it's true. You know, if you take a project player, high upside, high bus side, Linderbaum's the opposite. You know, he's already playing at an NFL level, definitely a starting center, you know, in this league. And, um, you know, the, the physical limitations are what they are. It's it's just a length thing. There's really nothing he can do about that. He'll, he'll get stronger, I think, just as he ages and gets in the NFL weight program. So, you know, I'm looking from a physical standpoint, Ken, I don't think there's He's got, I think his balance is pretty good. Uh, obviously, being a wrestler in a background, I think some of, uh, if you're looking at balance issues, that's just him being overwhelmed by an athlete that he's never seen before. And the length, you know, comes into play on that. So, um, you know, blue skies ahead, I think, you know, overall for Linderbaum. Really loved the way he climbed to the second level, Ken. Got on people, stuck on people, pancake people, finished, finished. He plays through the whistle. Um, yep. Definitely a leader on that line. Yeah, it's it's always very good to see that. And I think, you know, I I have one other very small beef about his play. And this is something that technique wise, I think, can improve. And that is that I want him to do my he, he resolves combination blocks very quickly, meaning when he's the climber, he chip blocks a guy and then moves up quickly. I, I kind of want him to finish his chip a little better to set up the, the the trailer, to set up the guy who's left behind with an easier block. And off, I, it's it's a feel thing. It's a make sure that guy seems like he's a little off balance before you take off into level two. But you can't just chip and go because you can get that done so quickly if you're Linderbaum that the, the guy behind is not advantaged on the block the way he needs to be. And we saw some great things out of Linderbaum with his own level two blocks you know he he basically got got the right side started for cleveland got the left side blocked up on dobbins 44 yard run against the steelers in week 14 wait week 14 week 17 whichever week it was the 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 long run against the steelers for 44 yards where looked like dobbins was running with the piano on his back which pretty much goes with every long dobbins run this year but that run he he opened up both sides of the holes set up for ben cleveland that's what he's got to kind of do on a on an individual play is do a better job of setting that first block up for the for the for the man who's trailing and and holding that block at the at the line of scrimmage. Gotcha, and that you know what that might go along with what you're saying with get a uh, couple of big strong guards next to him. Yeah, you know somebody that doesn't need much to hand off that uh, combination block, but uh, but yeah, you'll get. will definitely climb and find some uh, some fast guys with a head start on them. It's it's pretty amazing. 
um, and the way he, that he's able to, I saw him a couple of times where it didn't look like he had an angle where the, the linebacker was just, you know, got a good jump and usually you, you would see most linemen miss on it, but just to get inside of his shoulder, inside of his front shoulder, just enough and to ride it, not, not be a holding penalty. Um, and to just turn that man around. It's just, it's just got a great feel for run blocking. It's a, and really, I think he has a good feel for pass blocking, as you said, you know, technically sound. Um, so he, he's just a very, very polished player. Well, let's move on and talk about Kevin Zeitler. Another fine year from him. He's really the rock of the Ravens offensive line in a lot of ways. You know, he essentially played every bit as well as Powers. Uh, both finished with the exact same raw score in my system of 0.82. They, they, Zeitler had fewer pressures allowed than Powers, but he also had more penalties. And he missed some more blocks, and uh, it, there, there were some other offsetting factors. But uh, basically, loved his year uh, incredibly. He has still never made a Pro Bowl, which I think probably makes him one of the best guards in NFL history, never to make a Pro Bowl. Just it's there was a time, obviously, when offensive line Pro Bowls were handed out by seniority and opinion and five-year-old opinion a lot of the time. And, and it, it just wasn't very well done. But in recent years, with the advent of things like PFF and other scoring systems that are out there, um, it, it really is much more, uh, you know, when, when you put your Pro Bowl vote in and it's, the, and it's the wrong player, you can actually feel ashamed about that. In 1965 or 1972, you didn't have to feel that same kind of shame. If, you, if, if, if your guard was blocking for... O.J. Simpson, well, that was your evidence. That's all you needed to, to vote right. for him as a Pro Bowl. That's funny. Yeah, no, nothing gets past anybody nowadays, that's for sure. You can pull up the tape on, on any team, and it's uh, – yeah, it's true of the scoring systems and everything else and the advanced stats. But, yeah, Kevin Zeitler himself, just what a signing for the Ravens. And you look back at that signing, um, you know, just an absolute rock here for the first two years. He has a third year coming up. We'll see how that goes. Um, but, but yeah, there's there's really not anything to say. Uh, I don't have anything in depth to say on him, Ken. He's, he's just good in every area. He's just good. It's just a very good guard. And, um, you know, right guard, I think you need somebody that can handle one-on-ones. He does that really well, too. He's, yeah, I agree. He's a plus player in a lot of ways. He can pull. He can open the front gate. The Ravens' right-handed scheme, you know, it, all, most teams are right-handed. They're, they're right-handed because the left tackle is the better pass blocker than the right tackle. So you'd rather have a tight end on the side with your right tackle. And it's it's that means right guard is your important open-the-gate position and left guard is your important mobility position to get pulls done. And Zeitler, I think, has done his job extremely well in terms of, of doing that. And he also pulls a lot. In the Raven system, they, they counter um, a lot from right to left as well. Uh, and and he's he was effective uh, doing that as well. I I I was really interested to see Zeitler was not mentioned on anybody's All Pro ballot. Powers got a first place All Pro vote. There are fifty of those in total. Fifty people that vote. He got a first and no seconds. Zeitler got none at all. It's a little surprising to me that it worked out that way. But I I I did not. I never heard who was the guy who made Ben Powers. The number one. I don't know if it was a Baltimore guy, uh, or I don't know if it's a if it's another guy uh, nationally who maybe is a little bit of a contrarian or you know didn't like some of the other players. Maybe they follow one of the other players. They don't think they're that good. You know that could sometimes happen too if you're in the Philadelphia media say. Yeah, who knows? That's above me. I, I would just say that uh, you know maybe somebody takes the uh, it could be somebody taking the pass blocking grades that PFF comes up with very literally. Maybe they're a Ken Music fan. Maybe they just said, man, look at Ken's grades, man. That's guy. You know, I haven't watched the guy, but I'm trusting Ken. I, I'm giving him my all pro vote, but, uh, but no, seriously, uh, when it comes to Zeitler, he can, I think you said it above, above average, just in, in just about any area can do anything that you want to do as a guard. And, uh, and, you know, having him in the right guard is, is just been a pleasure. I hope, uh, I hope he stays. I think he'll stay. Um, you know, he's scheduled to make nine and a half million this year. That's not crazy for a guard, especially one of the top uh, guards in the league. Um, you know, not sure how much longer he wants to play. I believe he has 11 accrued seasons now. Um, so he's not young, but uh, it would be great to have him back, man. I would, I would love to see him play. I don't think his, 
his play has dropped off one bit since he's got here. Uh, from you know, if anything, it's improved from uh, his reputation from the other teams. Yeah, been been very solid, no doubt about it. So there's no question about whether the Ravens want him or not. Just to be clear here, nine and a half million is his cap charge. Three million of that the Ravens have already paid. So they, so they six and a half million they uh, is his salary in this last year. That might be getting close to the line for him. I, I you know personally, hey, one extra year, six and a half million chance to go for a Super Bowl, absolutely. Is there any possibility the elephant in the room might be Kevin Zeitler is just waiting on Lamar to kind of decide if he's going to come back for one more year or not? Um, for a man practicing past snaps when his wife's in labor, <laughs> I would say he loves the game too much for that. That would just that would just be me. I think he 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 kind of reminds me of the kind of guy that would play until the until they tell him he can't play anymore. That that's just his personality to me. But who knows? Who knows? Yeah. He might be waiting, but yes, nine and a half million. Yeah, I was just talking about the cap charge, uh, but yes, uh, he's already got three and a half in the pocket. You're right. So um, let's hope not. Let's hope he wants to stay and see his contract out. Yeah, it would really be a difficult rebuild for the Ravens at guard if they don't have Zeitler to start with next year. That would it would actually might even change their draft needs. Uh, it would definitely move guard, you know, way up there with cornerback and wide receiver which i think are the two biggest needs you know as it as it stands right now yeah you don't want to go into the offseason needing two guards to rebuild the whole the whole guard room yeah. but uh yeah that would all that would all kinds of suck um cologne we can talk about briefly uh he replaced Lenderbaum for two snaps as i said he also played 43 snaps split with zeitler in week 14 at pittsburgh had a couple other six linemen snaps i believe during the year um he had a really good game in week 14 against pittsburgh at right guard Cleveland came in and did some really powerful blocking, didn't really score very well in 14 snaps, but it got some incredible push. I mean, we saw Ben Cleveland as he was intended to be, but Cologne really scored very well in that game. He'll be entering year four uh, this year, which is always a point at which easiest article of the year to write is who's on the bubble, who's, who's in the unexpected bubble this year. Just look at the year four players and look at the year three players while you're at it. But the year four players, they're out of option value. So the Ravens don't have anything about their future beyond this year, and it's time to consider whether or not you want to reset with a rookie who's eighty percent as talented. Of course, of course, it, it, you know unless uh, it's Ben Cleveland and he needed him to start, and he's the best guy on the team, of mm-hmm. course. But I don't think that would be Cologne. Um, you know, it might be that it might be that he's wins the left guard job out of camp. Could be. Um, so maybe he maybe he stays on that uh, because of that. But um, it's funny, Ken, I did a, a cut up on the channel of Cologne and Cleveland in that Pittsburgh game that you were talking about. Um, they're run blocking on one video and they're pass blocking on the other video. And it's just such a stark contrast. Of course, like you said, mm-hmm. Cologne had Cologne had 77 percent and Cleveland had 23 percent. Wrote that down. Um, such a stark contrast in styles, though, Ken. It was almost like fascinating to watch just from an interesting perspective, because you know, just to, to be loose with my terms, uh, Cologne was was really solid, technically sound, aggressive, compact, uh, very mobile. And then Ben Cleveland, you know, was dominant, but half the, but, but with just the opposite of what I said about Cologne, just mm-hmm. kind of all over the place. But when he hit, man, he hits. Um, yeah, I think a lot of us were surprised to see Cologne get that start. Um, you know, when we got the tweets that he was lining up with the starters before the uh, before the game. And uh, Powers got to come in, uh, you know, or excuse me, Cleveland got to come in. Cleveland, though, got to start the last game at right guard when Zeitler sat. So um, they did get to see what they had in Cleveland uh, in week 18. Yeah, they they did. And and that game, he he was fine. Uh, it was a, a C game, uh, some, some good, some bad as a pass blocker. We saw some more good as a run blocker, but nothing nearly as good as we did in week 14. Uh, so that was uh, that was a little unfortunate, a little bit underwhelming, frankly, from that perspective. Uh, again, I think he's he's a good pairing for Linderbaum, who he is. I think they 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 would work well together. I, you know, one of the things that I liked about Cleveland coming out of school, and he's my second ranked guard in 2020, 2021, right? 2021, 2021. Yes, yeah. he was 21. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was my second ranked guard that year. And, and the reason I, I liked him so much was that I thought there was more athleticism 
than we'd really seen on display at Georgia. And a guy, I mean, he runs a 505-40, which is very quick for a guard, very quick and, and incredibly quick for a man his size. So, you know, you, you're, you're always looking to be on that efficient frontier of size and quickness and speed, mobility. And, and you know, some players are, are very extreme on the end, like Linderbaum is extremely quick, but extremely small. Other players like Ronnie Stanley get get, a, get above average marks in like both categories. They're 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 fairly large and they're also fairly quick. Um, and and Cleveland appeared to be one of those guys who was absolutely enormous and probably at least adequate as an athlete. And we have not really seen that in the at the pros. And now I'm I'm, I'm even wondering about you know some of the testing and whatnot. I've got to go back and look at some of it and 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 really ask myself again, you know, what's, what was it about that that really didn't show? Cause he got lead feet as far as getting out of his stance to start a pull that they're going to really need to have to fix. He got plenty of quickness or sorry, plenty of speed linearly, but he, he's just, he's very, a lot of footwork issues getting out of his stance. And it may be just, that may be a technical learn the footwork properly. Uh, I think that's the case for him and Fa'alele in different elements of the game. Fa'alele is really his handwork. And, and in in, uh, in Cleveland's case, it's his footwork. I still think Cleveland has been a pretty good processor at the pro level, and that was something I really liked about him at Georgia too. Is that you know playing right guard there that he could he could process from uh, center out to right tackle quickly, and sometimes get a help block in on those plays that was uh, that was extremely useful. Yeah, I think he sees things quickly, but again, when it comes to the you know the the combine testing numbers and all that, that's why you have to be really careful because. Cleveland may shine on that, but if it was a, a dancing with the stars or a balance contest, Cleveland's finishing last. <laughs> like this, yeah. you know, there, there, it takes some grace. It takes some grace and some uh, ability to adjust on the fly, some balance, um, you know, looking for some more terms, but I, I think that, you know what I mean, where 40 time you learn how to run when you're little, I mean, you, you can run, you can run. He's got that down, but um, as far as a dancing or a karate or something, I mean, you know, Ben Cleveland doesn't look like he can touch his toes. I'm, I'm not even being funny about that. I've seen him do some stretching, and it's a it's a stretch for him to get out of the stance. He really needs some more flexibility. And, um, you know, I think he needs more reps, too, at this point, because, you know, it's moments of dominance, and it's moments of him looking uh, just a little bit lost out there. And, um, you know, that to me, that he, he needs a lot. Uh, you know, I would have hoped by this point, Ken, we could go into 2023 and say, Look, it looks like Cleveland's got a lock for that guard job, but um, to me, he's he's not there. He needs some competition brought in uh, to you know to compete with him for a spot, and hopefully, he shows up and is a different player. Yeah, very important for him to show up in shape at this camp. Absolutely critical. I mean, I know he got married and all that, and I I, I, I I'm done with the excuses. Frankly, there's no reason for him to show up that overweight for camp, and the Ravens basically let everybody know about it. And I've, I've mentioned this several times on the show, but. He he his he listed the entire season on the Ravens roster at 370 pounds. He might or might not have been 370 the whole time, but I think he was 370 when he showed up. And the Ravens said, "Well, screw you. We're not going to let you, you know, let your teammates down in this way without that being the way you're going to show up in the in the roster the whole year." So I think that's what it was. I mean, he's he's down at 343, I think, at the combine. I saw another weighing at 356 elsewhere. So multiple different might have been a pro day weigh, might have been something else. I'm not sure exactly, but I've seen multiple weighings for him, but he's never up at 370. And gaining all that weight around your wedding, coming to camp and failing the conditioning test, it had to happen multiple times because he sat out about four days before he before he got on the field again. It might have even been longer than that. I mean, that's the way to get in the hardball doghouse. And he basically was. He was there the whole year. Um, didn't, didn't really get an opportunity. And there weren't any extra snaps at guard, but he could have come on as a sixth offensive lineman. You know, they didn't even have him. I don't think they had him active every week. I think they had him inactive in some weeks. He was active for nine games, nine games. So, right. So that right there would tell you, boy, you got Cologne active ahead of Cleveland. What's going on here. And, And some of that's, you know, the ability to play center, but some of it is, is just a lack of of faith in Ben Cleveland, which is uh, which is really unfortunate. So hopefully, you know, playing at the end of the year, he, he's got a little bit of that bugaboo off, and and he'll come to camp a, a changed man. And I think if I, I think he as a player really needs to invest in himself and learn from an offensive line guru, not Linderbaum's problem again. This is Cleveland's problem. It's Falele's problem. Is really learn how to play offensive line and do some of the other things. Uses huge physicality to in the passing pass blocking game more effectively. 
I mean, he's he's got size, and I think that he's got a natural feel for pass blocking. And you know, those two things are great things to build off of. It's just I I, I you know I don't want to question what what's going on, but yeah, the wedding, the whole wedding thing that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't jive with me. I mean, even if you took a you're on honeymoon for a week. Uh, you don't get out completely out of shape in one week if you're training all off season. Um, you know, it just, I would just like to see him get a little more flexible, work on a little more, getting a little more flexible, a little more graceful, um, maybe get in this playbook and, and do anything but lift weights. He, he's strong enough and he needs to get some more flexibility and some more grace in his body and just keep his weight down and, um, because like you said, I, I saw his weight 340, 350, and then the 370 at the, it just didn't make any sense. I believe we talked about that before, um, when I was on the show, but yeah, it, uh, it was crazy. We were searching up pro day numbers and all that other stuff, trying to find it because his weight was fluctuating. But, um, you know, hopefully this is a year where he just bangs down the door and, and takes a job from somebody. Right. Oh, well, it's it's there for the taking. There's no doubt about it. I think the Ravens want him to do it. I hope that's the conversation they had, uh, you know, as as he left the building after the Bengals game. Let's look ahead to 2023 a little bit. Left guard again open with powers likely to depart in free agency. Cleveland, as we said, probably has the inside track. I think the Ravens will draft a guard um, this year. It's not a sure thing because I think you know the Ravens will try and figure out where they have a need for a double dip, maybe a wide receiver or possibly a cornerback or possibly both, which would not leave a lot of additional draft capital to be used for anything, but they've got to find, they've got to find a guard somehow, whether that's another free agent guard, maybe a, maybe a guy they like and a lot of other teams might not, or uh, John Simpson is on the practice squad was at the end of the roster. He's a guy with NFL experience, third year player this year will be going to year four, not a lot of option value with a guy like that. So, you know, they're, they're dealing with some imperfect situations. Uh, there may be a UDFA. You know, Nick Easton was a guy who the Ravens found um, and uh, traded before the end of camp, actually, as, as he was an undrafted rookie. But could be somebody like that as well that they like. And that just doesn't make the top 262 or whatever it is picks this year. I do expect them to put an emphasis on a rookie. I mean, even if it was a situation where they missed out in the draft for one reason or another, say a a Kyle Hamilton type where, you know, he doesn't fit your needs, but he's the best player slips to you. So then you have to get a wide receiver later and a you know corner later, something like that. And guard for whatever reason gets put off in the draft. I think they would spend aggressively to try to bring in uh, the best UDFA guard. And the Ravens have had success, like you said, with Lyman at every, pretty much at every corner of the draft. So um, I, I, I expect it to be a young guy, Ken, because you have Cologne, potentially on his way out. You know, this will be Cleveland's going into his third year. Mm-hmm. You have Zeitler who might be done after this year um, or is done con- contractually with the Ravens after this year. You have to get younger. You have yeah. to get younger. You have to reset the clock somewhere. Um, so if, if the Ravens draft a guard in round two, round three, if we end up getting a second round pick back or whatever, um, just play along with me, we, we, you know, a day two guard, I, it wouldn't shock me, wouldn't surprise me. It would it wouldn't shock me either. If the Ravens first pick, though, first or second round is a guard and not a cornerback or a wide receiver. See, I think cornerback is the position. I think enough people realize what's going on among the potential haters that it will it will it will at least be understood. Yeah, the Ravens really need a cornerback too. It's not just wide receiver. If if the Ravens don't draft one of those two positions, I, I just think a lot of people across Baltimore, across the Twitterverse, are going to be showing, are going to be throwing their milkshakes at the at the TV screen they're watching on because it's just it's going to really frustrate people. Well, you know, I can almost kind of understand for this year. You look at it, all right. Well, you're probably not going to draft a running back that early. You, you got J.K. and Gus throwing there last year. That's kind of a different discussion. But tight end room is fine. Um, you know, the offensive line looks pretty darn good. Uh, you know, the outside linebackers, I don't think that that's a, a pressing need. Defensive line, you get what I'm saying. The safeties group is great. It's mm-hmm. corner or wide receiver. Sticks out pretty darn, pretty darn, like a sore thumb right now. Um, I like drafting corner in the first round, by the way, Ken. I think that that's the deepest, most talented group that I've seen so far early on in my looking at the draft. I feel like that there will be a player at 22, um, a corner will be sitting there that, would, is a starting quarter in the NFL type, type of type of player. 
Well, that, maybe that, not. Maybe not a Marlon Humphrey, but a, a good player. It was a little thinner uh, this last year. A lot of people wanted McDuffie, and uh, and he went a little bit later. Made a big play yesterday, but uh, but uh, you know, it was a guy who went a little bit later. And and a lot of people, uh, you know, Kyrie Elam was a guy I liked, but he um, didn't really play all that much for the Bills this year. Booth was a guy who who uh, you know had injury concerns. I don't even know how much he played if he even got on the field this year. Uh, but uh, you know, the top two guys were pretty good. And uh, I don't I don't think you can you know either of these guys. Sauce Gardner certainly already looks like a star. Uh, and uh, um, who's the other guy? I'm forgetting the, the LSU guy. Uh, uh, well, um, yeah, he went to Texans, uh, Stingley. Yeah. So he, uh, he's, he's already had some highlights, obviously. I really don't, didn't look at how he did for the, for the entire season being that he's, he's in purgatory right now with Houston for the whole <laughs> season. Poor guy. Yeah. Um, I, I will throw it back at you though, in terms of a prediction. So I've been asking a lot of people about this at various position groups, percentage chance of each of the three possibilities, wide receiver is number one cornerback is number one and field as number one. And, and and this is only if the Ravens use their first round draft pick, if they trade down and their top pick is in the second round, doesn't count anymore. I'll go, I'll go, uh, I'll go, I'll go 40, 40% corner. I'll go uh, 35 wide receiver, 25 field. Almost exactly the same as me. 45, 35, 20. I said corner, wide receiver, field. So I actually think they're more likely to draft a corner than a than wide receiver. Some of it's a matter of the Ravens seem to really want to make sure they get value at, at wide receiver. And so they won't draft a guy who's a little bit, you know, it, that it might they, it's a risk of an overdraft. And I think with, with the cornerback, they're not really going to have that same question come up. They also trust their judgment probably a little bit better. And I think that their chance of getting somebody good is, is probably better. I think part of it too, for me is that it's hard to find NFL corners that are big, tall, strong, whereas receivers kind of come in different flavors. Ken, mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, you can get a sky Moore or you can get an Alec Pierce in the second round, third round. You know, you can get a possession receiver, you can get a speed receiver, you can get a smaller slot receiver. Whereas with corner, if 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 you're going to be starting corner, you got to be able to guard all those guys. Um, your first round corner. So, so yes, I would say if if a corner is there that the Ravens like, they're going to jump on. They're going to jump on them. So that that that's why I would weight that much higher. And really, if I'm saying forty percent, that's that's you know, you put me on the spot with that, but. That's a huge, that's a high percentage. Like I, I don't, you know, other years are very different. This yeah. year is very different from other years where it could be any position really. Yeah. Uh, most other years it's, you know, the Ravens are are good about having multiple things that they, that they have, you know, significantly similar drafting. And it's a better position to be in when you're in that spot, because you can, you can, you can not get hosed by other teams knowing exactly what your weaknesses are, are and fleecing you for it in terms of draft capital. So you don't want to be, you know, throwing in 10% additional draft capital on any trade up or down just because the other team knows your, your, your need is not exactly met by the player available here, or your need is met by the, by the pick that they have. You know, I just want to say, Ken, overall, when I look at the roster, um, I think we're in good shape. We, you compare it to where we've been in past years. I mean, you know, I just went around the room at least for 2023 you know, you have the Lamar situation, get that taken care of, get Lamar Jackson back, get yourself the best wide receiver possible, get yourself a couple cornerbacks in here and the rest is ready to go. I mean, yeah, you want to get younger on the defensive front seven is, uh, you know, Urban's not here. Who knows what's going on with Calais? You got Metabike, Broderick heading into their final year. Maybe one of those guys gets extended with the cap going up. Um, you know, you have Travis Jones and Pierce already here. But you look around the roster, there's a lot of talented, proven pieces at your disposal already. So, um, you know, they like said the fact that I can say, hey, man, we really need a corner or a wide receiver in this first round is is rare because normally I'd say, man, well, if the, you know, if this defensive lineman's there, I'd probably I'd be really tempted to take him. He's pretty darn good. But weighing all things equal, I think the corner is a deep position in this draft. One of the few deep positions in this draft in the first round. That's where I that's where I think we'll go. All right. Well, outstanding. Uh, the, the only other thing I had to do was talk about 
the possibility of keeping McCary available for things. Dry powder is what I'm calling it. You know, that, that he's a, he's a useful player to have a tackle, a useful player to have at center. Do you risk at all getting him involved in the guard competition, even though he might be the best answer this year? You know, it's possible. I really don't know, but but uh, but if do you get him involved in a left guard competition in camp and and even play him in the preseason there with the attendant risks uh, to try I, and see if try and push somebody else? I would say absolutely not, absolutely not. I would say you leave him exactly where he was last year, where they didn't even want to bring him in at center. He is your backup tackle for better or worse. Fa Lele, who knows where he's going to be this time of year. Uh, next year, Ronnie, you know, you just kind of hold your breath and hope. Um, but unless we bring in a left tackle, which I don't see in the, you know, a pro ready left starting left tackle, they're hard enough to find Ken. So, uh, yeah, I think McCary is your backup left tackle pretty much uh, next year, right tackle as well. Yeah, you might as well try and find another starting quarterback if you're if you're really talking about trying to find a, a left tackle. It's about as hard. You know, they about all, every, as hard, right? Uh, it's it's. You, you you could get a developmental guy, maybe. You know, if the if there's another Gregory Sanat available in the sixth round, sure, pick him by all means. I, I don't I don't have any problem. I don't even have any problem for him. You know, battling with Falele for for uh, the last roster spot kind of thing. Uh, but if if uh, you know, otherwise, I just I wouldn't do something. But I, the guy who who the Ravens pick or UDFA or get in the sixth round or whatever it might be, that guy has to be able to play left tackle. Not right tackle, not right tackle, not tackle guard, not tackle guard center. He's so versatile. I'm oh my God, it could be anything. All that cra- is crap. We need a guy who can play left tackle to back up Ronnie Stanley. And 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 that's that's what they would need. I mean. Agreed. And you're not, you know, and I, I totally agree. And if you're drafting somebody six and the seventh left round who profiles as a left tackle, he's not going to be able to help you here in 2023. That's he's right. going to need that time. So that's why I say, look, leave him carry alone. He seems to come in handy every year, plug in some, some part of, uh, of the line. I will let some other guys battle it out at left guard, put them in between two really good players and Ronnie Stanley and Tyler Linderbaum. It's going to help that new left guard. And uh, you leave McCary out of there and you, you use him as your, as your bandaid when you need him. The guy who did work out, Zach Tom, the guy I really wanted, who is a uh, a a I thought was just going to be a center. I didn't think he had the length, you know. I thought he, he just he seemed powerful enough that he could probably be a powerful center, and that would be a reasonable position for him. Could play guard also. And I think the Packers really drafted him as a guard, but he ended up playing left tackle for them and playing pretty well uh, to to you know help them on their comeback drive to just miss out on a playoff spot. Yeah, I, I was watching him. I was watching him. Think, you know, scheme that comes into to play as well. Having a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, all that, all that comes into play. Make it easy. Make life easier for your for your left tackle. Chip at it. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do. So, um, and we've seen with Lamar, he he tends to make the offensive lineman look better here um, when he's playing. There you go. All right, Jason, always a pleasure to talk football with you, my friend. And sure, we're going to have a lot more discussion in draft season. Uh, I'll be looking for, as always, for you to take a position group, and then we'll talk on on draft night. And will you be using your big board, I'm sure, again, right? There we go. We're, we're ready. I'm going to do one night on my channel. I haven't figured out what, but I want to do something for my my subscribers over there at Huddle It Up Films, but I'm not leaving Ken, so I'll be, I'll be with you. All right, outstanding. Really looking forward to that. Uh, uh, tell folks where they can find your work. Sure. It's Huddle It Up Films on Twitter uh, and YouTube. Please go over to YouTube. Check out the cutups that I have. I'm doing one player a day here until we're finished. Uh, I'm about 11 players, 12 players. I think I'm at least 12 players in. Um, most uh, The favorite, the most viewed video right now is Kyle Hamilton. People are loving the Kyle Hamilton video. Just a cut up of his range and the way he covers tight ends. And just, man, what, what a player we got in Kyle Hamilton. Um, Tyler Linderbaum's already on there. So you'll get a chance to do some homework. And uh, I call them highlights, but they're basically uh, a string of plays, cut-ups. And, uh, you know, every player, offensive line included, is on there. So um, please go ahead and check it out and support the program if you want. Go ahead and uh, subscribe. All right. Outstanding. I, I'd highly recommend Jason's material. And Jason is a Twitter follower, follow, too, is at Huddle It Up Films. 
Other folks out there, if you'd like to do a film study short, we're doing a great season series right now. I just started recording the first one today. I've called That One Play. So I talked to a guy named Josh Jacobs about the Lamar bathroom play. We all know and love. And a lot of the little particulars that went along with that, it was a lot of fun. 15-minute shows, bite-sized, trying to get a different length to see if during the off-season people would like to listen to, you know, decide if they want to listen to one two, three, if, the, if there could be some additional popularity to this kind of format. So what I'm also looking to do is get a very broad set of people to the microphone. So people who you know normally would say, oh, I don't know if I'm technical enough, or I don't know if I can really do this to be on the pod. Don't worry about it. Just bring, you be you. Bring what's important to you about some play from Raven's history. Got a strong predilection for people who can bring me anything from the 1990s. I've only got one play so far from the 1990s. So if you're that guy out there who remembers Ray's first interception in the first Ravens game or some other play from that game or another big play against the Rams in that thrilling win in the in the Ravens' first season or any others, love to hear them. Uh, be, and they're, they're, they're perfect for this kind of thing. Anyway, DM me on Twitter, always open. I'll get back to you very quickly. Uh, and all the people who have signed up for you, and there's 22 of you, plus the one we already did, I will be scheduling the shows this week and they'll, they'll be scheduled out over a little bit of time, but, uh, but I will be getting back to you. I have not forgotten about you. Jason, thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate you, buddy. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.